0: Welcome to the PopeCast, episode 11. This week, it's a special episode of the PopeCast because Pope Francis just released a new document. So instead of going over the life of one of our popes, this week we have an interview with Catholic author and speaker Katie Prajon mcgrady talking about the document, her recent experience in Rome at a special gathering of young adults from around the world, and Pope Francis's unique mission and ministry in the church today. It was a fantastic conversation, and I hope you enjoy Prejean McGrady, welcome to the podcast as our first uh, interview, so welcome.
1: Yeah. Thanks, thanks for having me, I'm excited.
0: Of course, did I pronounce your maiden name correctly, by the way? You did, Prejean. You didn't say Prejean, so that's good. So, (laughs) confession, I don't know if my mom listens to this, she probably doesn't know how to download this, but she still says Prejean. Oh,
1: that's that's. Oh, Katie Oh, yeah. Yeah, she's allowed to. She picked me up from the airport at like 10 o'clock at night, so we've become friends.
0: That's right. Wow.
1: and got me a Moose magazine. I don't know if you knew that story.
0: Oh, I do know. Yeah. Yeah,
1: mm-hmm. I still have it. I still I did. I think I accidentally just sent you a heart via Skype.
0: Sorry. You, I don't know. So <laughs> I'm gonna. As,
1: uh, I don't know. I don't it, know how Skype works. Okay, it's like a new
0: on. Skype thing where the heart pops up if you like hover your mouse. It yeah, your
1: it's like mouth. it. That's we're both happily married to other people. <laughs> <laughs> I yes, have a baby. Matt's a newlywed. But yes. now we're going to talk Ooh. about the Pope. Yeah. <laughs>
0: uh and i'm not gonna edit that out just to keep it awkward whatever
1: here we go catching foxes <laughs> like yes discussion over instruction
0: yeah exactly <laughs> perfect yes okay so uh yeah so uh, to clarify i guess so we're gonna we're, you're on the pope cast uh to talk about gaudete at exultate right the new pope francis apostolic exhortation that came out four days ago five days ago I well yeah i guess monday this monday a, morning monday yeah. okay perfect so before we get started, I just want to clarify for those following you on Twitter that you're you're able to confirm that you're not a heretic or a bad Catholic, right?
1: Correct. Yeah. Last time I
0: checked. Wow, yeah, thank God. Okay. Mm-hmm. Just wanted to make sure. Um thank you. we didn't have to cut the <laughs> interview short. So no, I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah, so but speaking of Twitter, so um the reason I got this idea to ask you to be on the Popecast was um you spent the better part of the day, right? Um, mm-hmm. live tweeting the whole document, which is brilliant yeah. with a nicely placed GIF. I'm pretty sure I laughed out loud several times. <laughs> retweeted several times. So yeah, maybe to start, uh, with just like where that idea came from and the fruit that you saw from it, uh, good and bad, maybe, um, that day and since. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, so I love gifts. Um, in fact, when I become good friends with people, the mark of true friendship in my life is when all I do is communicate with you through gifts. Um, So, like, I've got a few people on my phone. I could not tell you the last time I actually, like, texted a sentence. It's just, like, you know, I'm thinking about them, and so I'll send a well-placed GIF or, like, meme out of context. Um, And so I woke up Monday morning. I remembered, oh, that's right. The Pope's dropping a new document today. Uh, And so I started doing it. And I only got through the first chapter because on Monday I was in Notre Dame, Indiana, filming videos for Ave Maria Press. So I was pretty busy all day long behind the camera, like, you know, like, filming stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, but when I got back to my hotel room, I was like, oh, I might as well like dive back into it. You know, had a really good dinner. I have nothing to do. The baby's asleep. My husband's working on school stuff back home, like turned on CNN, you know, poured myself another cup of coffee, which is a terrible idea. Cause I was awake <laughs> until like 1am and I started rereading it. And as soon as I got started, Jennifer Fulweiler, my dear friend, tweeted that I was doing it. And I was like, Oh, crap. Now I like have to do the whole document (laughs) because like all these people. So I kind of got Twitter peer pressured into doing it. And then I just started having fun with it. Um, And I I mean, I'll be honest, like I skimmed it to find like the really good lines and went back and kind of read it in more detail on the Mm -hmm. flight the next day. And you know, I'm a big fan Um, geeked out about a couple of parts that we can talk about uh, later on in the podcast. But I, I thought it was the coolest thing how many people started following along that probably would not have realized that a new document had dropped for a couple of days. Because, like, in Catholic world, like, it's a big deal for those of us that work for the church or, like, are in the Catholic zeitgeist. But yeah. the average nominal Catholic who maybe follows a few people on Twitter and, like, sees Catholic Twitter stuff from time to time, like, I kind of flooded their news feed <laughs> <laughs> for like a couple of hours with all these quotes. And so I I think it effectively shared some of the, the good nuggets from the document.
0: Mm-hmm. I like that. I, so. I just thought of, are you, are you a Parks and Rec fan?
1: Oh, big time. I have a little Sebastian poster in the oh, corner of my oh, office. Yes. Nice. Yes.
0: Yeah. So I just thought of the, the, the time when Anne was moving away and she had to break the bad news to Leslie, but also brought yes. waffles with her. Yes, it's like yes. the, the gifs. I say, I always say gifs, but gif, gif, whatever. Yes, uh, yes. But like the gifts are the waffles And the quotes are like the stuff that you need to – like people need to know, but they might not go and seek it out. That's
1: so good. That's so good. So my husband and I are actually – I'll do a little commercial. My husband and I are starting a podcast called Pawnee Pennsylvania where it's (laughs) two married people who are obsessed with Parks and Rec in the office talk about their favorite episodes after the baby goes to sleep. That's literally the tagline. (laughs) There is no catechism part of it at all. It is like not a Catholic podcast. It's just a husband and wife who love these shows. So tune in, folks. All right. so, yeah, so I, I think gifts are actually—this is going to sound super controversial. Maybe this is why people think I'm a heretic. I think GIFs are a modern, mean of evang- modern means of evangelization. Heck yes, they are. Like, they, I mean, they can, be, they can be funny and engaging. GIF the gospel is one of my absolute favorite things to do on Twitter. Yes. Uh, and I've had some, you know, some good success with, like, retweets and likes because I, I think it just puts it in people's view and it makes them laugh. And so this was a very gifable papal document. I'll yeah. just say that.
0: <laughs> yeah, I would agree. Well, and that's a perfect transition so the next thing I had was uh do you have did you have like some personal favorites you care to share? And then we can like do the geeking out on the parts that uh, Yeah. It's, that's um so
1: my favorite I so I, I have two. I love the part where he says, "Do not let do you let his fire inflame your heart." Unless you let him warm you more and more with his love and tenderness, you will not catch fire. It's like people are going to take that out of context and think like, you know, like we're all walking around blazing. Um, So my favorite, I I put that Elmo gift, Elmo and fire. I love that. It's one of my favorite gifts. I think my absolute favorite, though, was the closing line, one of the closing lines of the document. He says, Mary, our mother, does not need a flood of words. She does not need us to tell her what's happening in our lives. All we need to do is whisper time and time again, Hail Mary. And so I used this GIF of a little kid, like, poking his mom in the face (laughs) and, like, trying to wake his mom up, which is what motherhood is like, let me tell Mm -hmm. you, everybody. The baby is constantly in your face wanting something.
0: Oh, yeah. Um, And we better believe that Jesus in his human nature did that to Mary, like, all through toddlerhood, of course.
1: Mommy? Mommy? Um, And then all of Chapter 3, Parts 100, 101, 102, 103, just about, like, how we can't—we can't see— trying to put this in the right way we can't see one social issue that concerns human life as more important than another because human life is human life is human life um which is probably one of the more controversial parts of the document we can talk about it uh i think some people kind of got all up in arms about it um but yeah those are those are my favorite gifts
0: nice okay we'll make sure from the uh twitter account that we tweet this out all thirteen yes. followers. It's relatively new, so you know. I'll
1: retweet
0: all. <laughs> oh, thanks. I'll give hey. you a t-
1: tonight to my, my new followers that think I'm a heretic.
0: Yes. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. Good. So they'll think that I'm a heretic too, which is there. Fine. We go. Because if you're not getting called a heretic by, you're not doing it, yeah. yeah. What are you doing? You have to heretics. be able to tick
1: people off on both
0: sides. Yes. Like that's yeah. The goal. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So you mentioned what was it? One hundred one. One hundred two. One hundred three. Something yes. like that. Yes. I um, pull it up. Yeah. So maybe feel free to just kind of geek out on your favorite parts of the document. Itself. Yeah. So, um,
1: part he, he talks, he, this is the title "Ideologies striking at the heart of the gospel. Um, and so he, I mean, what a powerful line, right? And he's, so he, he's essentially telling us that like, we have to be a, a people that are big picture focused, um, which I think is very hard for, I know it's hard for me to hear sometimes. Cause I have my pet projects. Like I have the topics that I prefer to talk about or that I prefer to think about about, um, or like the initiatives that that I think are more important. Um, And so like in America, in the United States of America, I think um, we—wait, hang on, back it up. Pause. You might have to edit some of this. I think I'm talking about the wrong part.
0: Oh, no, I think you are. Uh, Paragraph 100, ideologies striking at the heart of the gospel, yeah.
1: Where does he say abortion? Oh, there it is. Okay. There, sorry. Okay. Forget what I—so anyway, I'll pick up where I was saying. So like in paragraph 101, where he goes— Really hardcore about making sure that we look at the the whole issue of how we're not respecting and and treating human life in the way that we need to. Um, so obviously, like, and he says this: our defense of the innocent unborn needs to be clear firm and passionate for at stake is the dignity of a human life, which is always sacred and demands love for each person, regardless of his or her stage of development. Like in that moment, every pro-life worker in America around the world should feel affirmed in their desire to work, to end abortion. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. But then he also says, and I think this is beautiful, equally sacred. However, are the lives of the poor, those already born, the destitute, the abandoned and the underprivileged, the vulnerable infirm and elderly exposed to covert euthanasia the victims of human trafficking new forms of slavery and every form of rejection and like when i read it i i got uncomfortable because i could not tell you the last time i thought about the evil of poverty because that's not a reality that i face like mm-hmm. I've got—I own my own home. I've got money in my savings account. Like, I literally just went and bought a new stroller for my kid because we wanted a different kind of stroller, and I didn't think twice about it. Mm -hmm. But that's not the reality for a lot of people. And so I think what the Pope is trying to call us to is a a recognition that that is not the reality for a lot of people, and that if we're defending the unborn, we should also be defending the living. Mm -hmm. Um, And I loved that. Like, I think that's one of the things that Pope Francis is really good at, is calling us to— a, a broader perspective.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and no, I would agree. Well, it, that reminds me of—I um, mean, how many times do we have maybe like pro-choice people who um, who don't say like you're just a pro-life idiot, but they say, <laughs> "Oh, yeah, well, all Catholics care about is saving babies, but then once they're born, nobody gives a crap." Or yeah. something. It's like this is, this is this is the answer, and it's like the official, and it like should call us Catholics, right? I mean, because um, I would agree to the discomfort, especially thinking about. Like actual poverty. I was just listening to the new um, Catholic Stuff podcast today, and Father Nathan's talking about like living in an affluent country, but then like going to India and just, it's like we have an idea of American poverty, which mm-hmm. is like homeless people on the street corner and like not to, you know, talk down about that kind of poverty because that's real. But then you go to India and there's like human excrement in the streets.
1: Right. It's rampant. It's far yeah. different than what we're experiencing. Yeah, absolutely. When well, I think sometimes I, Having gone to the pre-Synod and sat in a room with people from Africa and all other manner of nations was the only United States of American citizen in my language group, and I'm grateful for that. Uh, I got this whole new global perspective of like the problems that we are fighting about in the United States of America with our embarrassment of riches that we have in our Catholic Church here. Like they're petty in comparison to some of the very real issues. So, so one example, I met a young man from Nigeria, sweet guy. His name is Thomas. Um, we met in St. John Lateran's. We were there praying the stations of the cross and he was my partner for the station that we were reading together. And so we got to visiting while we're waiting for our turn, um, and I asked him what he did, and he was like, oh, you know, I help out with the church, and um, you know, but I don't have a job. And I, I was like, oh, well, you don't work for the church. And he said, oh, no. In Nigeria, you go work for the church, and then you come home, and they pat you on the back, and they say, good job. Thank you. <laughs> and then you have to figure out how to pay your bills. And like he – that's a, like versus me who's literally traveling to atlanta tomorrow to speak for an obscene amount of money over the course of the next 5 days right because like that's something that's that it's a wealthy parish and they're they're affluent and they can do that and i can i can ask for that so we're fighting about stupid stuff. If we say like, mm-hmm. oh well, the Pope said pro life workers aren't aren't valued. No, he said you're valued. He also said people that are helping rampant poverty are valued. Like, right. get over yourself. This is this is a good thing that we're brightening we're broadening our perspective. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like this is just generally. I mean, this is one example from the document, but I mean, I read the first third so far. Um, but it's like so quintessentially Francis because one, it's simple. Like I'm thinking, my dad who hardly goes to mass my like sisters who would never think in a million years to read mm-hmm. a papal document or like, like all of these family members who like would never touch something like this normally because it's right. normally like high theology, whatever. Um, generally like there's just like simple lines. Like th- what did he give the example of? He's like, okay, holiness comes in small doses mm-hmm. every day. Here's an example. A woman goes shopping with a friend yep. and starts to gossip, but decides not to. It's like the mm-hmm. whole thing is, seems to yep. me it's like written like that. Um, yeah.
1: When he says mm-hmm. that at the start, he wants—he's not trying to redefine. He's trying to repropose the call in a practical way mm-hmm. for our own time. And so, like I, I, everything that I've ever read of Francis, even—and I'm, I'm gonna—I'm gonna pull my precented card again. Like even being in the room with him for a few hours, he's a pastor's pastor. Mm-hmm. Like, yes, he's the Pope. Yes, he's the Vicar of Christ. He is the Supreme Pontiff who you know wears the crown. But like he's also the kind of guy that like I'm pretty sure if I spoke Italian and I walked up to him and said, hey, Padre, would you hear my confession? Like he would have sat down and <laughs> yes. heard my confession because right. like the probably doesn't get the chance to do that very often. And and this document reads like a letter that a pastor would write to his people after Lent as you're entering into Easter. And we all know after Easter comes ordinary time when everybody starts to kind of slack back off of their faith. <laughs> like this was kind of a rallying call of, hey, everybody, like we should be holy. And so some of the, the bombshell lines that talk about that, that encourage us to pray, that encourage us to not be rigid and, and stuck in our own perspective and our own attitudes, or like looking at the lives of the saints and saying, like, I'm called to that as well. That was super encouraging. I love part 14 in the first chapter. He says— um, to be holy does not require being a bishop, a priest, or a religious. Yes. We are frequently tempted to think that holiness is only for those who can withdraw from ordinary affairs to spend much time in prayer, and that is not the case. We are all called to be holy by living our lives with love and by bearing witness in everything we do wherever we find ourselves. When I read that line in my hotel room, I spilled my coffee because I, I like, sat up so quickly. <laughs> Because I immediately went back to the precinct document that we wrote three weeks ago that Mm -hmm. uh, that specifically said that so many young people sometimes think that like holiness or like their vocation like they only think of vocation in one specific way and this kind of felt like Francis was being like I heard you. And like, I'm going to tell everybody that that's not the case. Yeah. And like, hopefully people, like it was, it was so encouraging. And then he gives really practical examples. Are you married? Be holy by loving and caring for your husband or wife as Christ does for the church. Do you work? Be, be holy by laboring with integrity and skill. Are you a parent or a grandparent? Be holy by patiently teaching the little ones how to follow Jesus. Like that was so, it it was very pastoral. It was very practical. Yeah, um, I love
0: that. Well, and maybe, can you preface, I mean, can you um, maybe fill in, yeah, like the pre-synod. So what? Sorry, I mean, I said, yeah. yeah, no, no, that's okay. But like for for anybody who doesn't know what that is, um, what is it? Why did you get to do it? And and what yeah. did you get to do so, while you were there?
1: So I, I feel like I'm the I'm the broken record that's everybody like, hey, let's talk about this really cool thing I got to do because it's like the only cool thing I've done all year other than having a baby. Um, so Pope Francis is called he called a synod, which is a gathering of bishops, um, in October of 2018. So this pre synod was one of four preparatory meetings that happened to write documents and to help inform the bishops that are gathering in October. And this particular gathering was of young people between the ages of 16 and 30— the average age of us there was probably between 24 and 28. Um, mostly young professionals working for the church are very involved in youth ministry work back in our home dioceses and, and organizations and movements. And so we were called forth—literally the name of the synod was We Talk Together— And the whole point was to spend a week in dialogues. We had 15 questions that we had to talk about, that we worked our way through, um, that unpacked identity, unpacked our definitions of Jesus, unpacked our perceptions of faith and prayer and what we're looking for from the Church, and that all of those conversations were summarized in a document that was released the final day of our Synod. It was an 11-page document that it's not an encyclical, it's not an apostolic exhortation, it's not a treatise on theology, it should be read like a letter— Like a letter from young people to bishops, most of whom are over fifty, so that we can say, like, hey, like this is the state of the average millennial today. This is what high school kids are thinking and feeling back in their countries. Like this is what we're dealing with. This is what we think. This is how we're confused. We need help. Um it you know, it, it was controversial in the sense that some people thought we didn't talk about certain topics enough. Um, some people kind of read it with that fancy phrase, right, hermeneutic of suspicion. They looked at it as if, like, it was already going to be tainted from the start. But I can can honestly say I was there. I helped write it. Some of my lines are in it word for word from the drafts that my group submitted, which is pretty cool. And Mm -hmm. I can tell you a thousand percent that it was a heartfelt plea to the bishops of the world who are gathering in October to— bring back the disaffiliated, to encourage those who are already very much affiliated and very passionately Catholic, mm-hmm. and to, to help us all grow in our journey with Christ. And so when I read this Gaudete et Exultate, it felt like right away, Pope. it was almost as if Pope Francis read our document and said, you know what, I want to talk about that. And I'm pretty sure this was like in the works for a long time prior to the <laughs> precinct mm-hmm. happening, but at the same time, I, I can't help but imagine that when Pope Francis left our gathering, because he came and spent four hours with us on the first Monday of wow. the Precinate. Four hours. The Holy Father took four hours out of his busy schedule to sit in a room with 300 young adults and talk to us and listen to us. And like, like it, it was just, we were the most important people in the world in that time with him. Like, mm-hmm. he very much valued that. I can't help but think that maybe those Thoughts were coming up in his mind when he was finalizing the draft of this, or that like he was thinking about us, the average twenty five twenty six twenty seven year old in the world today, and how he could articulate holiness to us, which is maybe that 's why i 'm just so excited about it
0: no i i mean i 'm right there with you, and obviously i wasn 't in Rome sitting with the pope before us, but it 's like it's it 's like understanding and it 's so beautiful that it's kind of that it 's sad that it has to experience a resurgence, but it, that it 's getting a resurgence, is like mm-hmm. The church is about Jesus first, and it's about Jesus and you first. Like, obviously, (laughs) it needs to be done in the context of the church in order to be sustainable and for discipleship to work, and like all that stuff. But um, no, that's so cool. So, like, what was that? I mean, like, can you think of like a few nuggets from that four hour? Like, I just want to nerd out so bad on that.
1: Yeah, Pope? All of, his, um, all of his answers to the questions that were asked are up on the Synod website, synod2018.va. Um, two big things that have stuck out in my head pretty much the whole time. Um, so he, he spoke very passionately about clericalism and like how both lay people have become very clerical and our perception of priests and how priests have become very much—and um, and not all priests, obviously. There are some great priests— that, that I am dear friends with and that I know through the interwebs that are not like this. But some priests have this attitude as they become princes. And so one thing that he said that stuck out in my head, I actually tweeted it, um, and then I texted it to some of my priest friends. I was like, this is not a knock on you. I'm just letting you know that you do this well. He said, a priest that acts like a prince and not a brother is no priest at all. And I was like, oh, that, so that was really powerful. He spoke remarkably passionately about human trafficking. And how it is modern day slavery. And like when I tell you like he like he so he had notes because he got the questions the night before from what we were told. And he put down his paper when he started talking about human trafficking and spoke off the cuff very passionately about women that he has met who have been slaves of this industry and like how heartbreaking it is that we live in a culture and a time that still objectify women, even in the midst of all this feminist, like women are equal movements. Like we're still exploiting women in this way. Mm -hmm. Um, So, he's, and I was, I was surprised how like, and that's not to say that the Pope is out of touch, but like how in touch he was with that topic. Like you could tell that he had thought about this, that he'd probably researched a little bit, that he'd had conversations with people that know their stuff, mm-hmm. and that he wasn't just this out of touch old guy who was like, oh yeah, human trafficking is bad. Like he, like, he cared about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and he spoke. Th- so one of the young men that was there um, is a self proclaimed uh, non believer. Never said he was an atheist or an agnostic, but a non believer. His name was Maxime. He's from France spoke somewhat okay English. So he and I had a couple of conversations over the course of the week. He got to ask the Pope a question. And his question was, how would I begin my faith? Like, if I were interested, like, how could I start? And it was so sweet. Pope Francis, he hugged every single young person that got up there to ask a question. Like, he got up and personally hugged them and like had a moment with them. And he spent the longest time with this guy. The non-believer from France. And so like – and he puts his hands on his shoulders and he like pulls him into a hug and you see him whispering something to the guy. And then he sits back down and he said, I just wanted you all to know I told him that he's already begun and we are so happy he is here. Man. And it was like, oh my gosh, what a dad. Like what a pop Seriously. Like it was, I, started, I started tearing up because it was like I just witnessed – a a, a remarkably pastoral and beautiful moment Mm -hmm. that this non and, and then I watched that guy all week like that guy had the week of his life with the of capitals <laughs> at the Vatican. Like Seriously. he I mean, he became like he was so joyful and on fire. And we had a big huge not many people know this, we had a huge dance party out at the the Castle Gandolfo Papal Gardens <laughs> with Sister Christina, that singing nun from yeah. Italy what? that won the first, oh my gosh. A private concert for us. That guy, the non-believer, was in the front row of the Papal Gardens concert, like rocking out with his nun. And like I I can't help but think that. The value and the benefit of that gathering was so that we all that were there could experience church in a global and beautiful and universal way and then bring those experiences back home mm-hmm. and talk about that and encourage that and and witness to that. So it was, without a doubt, one of the top five coolest things I've ever gotten to do in my entire life.
0: Yeah, of course. And
1: now reading this document, again, it's just like, they actually listen to us. Like, how cool. I can't wait to see what comes out of October. I really can't.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean it's – it's that's that's beautiful. Yeah, so thanks for sharing all of that. Um, yeah. And uh, I just – like I can't – I like, that's like the conception that I've gotten of Pope Francis and why I love him so much is because like one, I forget so easily that he's an 83-year-old man. He's an old guy. Like you can he's tell. You waddles, super waddles old. He <laughs> yeah, but – yeah, exactly. But he's like – it's like the same thing – when you see anybody on fire for Jesus, it's like, and like even people who what uh, have near death experiences go to heaven, they're like, oh yeah, I couldn't tell how old they were.
1: Mm-hmm. So they're like
0: you just like that just like escapes you because oh, yeah. they just seem so youthful, like so childlike or whatever. Oh yeah, um, and it, there's the, a great joy. Yeah, yeah, huge joy, um, and I think that's so beautiful, and it's no wonder that it's attractive. What's unfortunate mm-hmm. is that it seems like in so many um, dioceses and parishes. Um, it's like we there's so many rose colored glasses out there, like they're they're like, Oh, it's fine, it's like we're gonna do this program without really thinking about like our mission or mm-hmm. the goals that we actually want to reach, or the fact that our parish will die in twenty years if we don't actually do something like if we don't you know uh have a conversation with the parish secretary who is just in maintenance mode and has been for twenty years or I mean whatever mm-hmm. you know they like there's tons of those examples, but um. No, I think this is beautiful. That there's just these little things, and like that's that's how the church is going to survive. Yeah, is...
1: and and that's been Francis's goal from the get go. I, I think we forget. So sometimes people are like, "Ah, oh, Francis is off the cuff," and Francis doesn't know what he's doing, and Francis she just she talks out of his out of his behind, and it's like, no, no, no. Pope Francis is very calculated. Oh yeah, like Pope Francis knows what he's doing he knows the pastoral perspective that he has um and whether you like that or not like is is that's your own opinion but so one of the my favorite parts of the document um is in section 135 and 136 um so we're we're you know kind of like right smack dab in the middle like things are just about to get good and i again i like I geeked out. I posted on InstaStory like way too much because sometimes I don't like talking at my own self on Instagram. But like I geeked out on Instagram when this happened. So I'm reading, I'm reading, I'm reading. I'm si- sipping the coffee. I shouldn't be drinking at 8 o'clock at night. And so this is the line that I read. 135. God is eternal newness. He impels us constantly to set out anew – to pass beyond what is familiar to the fringes and beyond. He takes us to where humanity is most wounded, where men and women beneath the appearance of a shallow conformity continue to seek an answer to the question of life's meaning. So I'm like reading it. I'm like, oh, yeah, like that's powerful stuff. That's really good. It gets even better. God is not afraid. He is fearless. He is always greater than our plans and schemes. Unafraid of the fringes, he himself became a fringe. So if we dare to go to the fringes, we will find him there. Indeed, he is already there. Jesus is already there in the hearts of our brothers and sisters, in their wounded flesh, in their troubles, and in their profound desolation. He is already there. So I'm reading this, mind being blown, right? Seriously. And then all of a sudden, I'm like, something. this sounds familiar. Like, I feel like I've heard this before. And then I read part 136. True enough, we need to open the door of our hearts to Jesus, who stands and knocks. Sometimes I wonder, though, if perhaps Jesus is already inside us and knocking on the door for us to let him escape from our stale self-centeredness. And I immediately was like, I've read that before. And I pulled up this document, which everybody should go read. It's called Evangelizing the Peripheries. It is a short one-page little speech that was given on March the 9th, 2013 in Rome. So after Pope Benedict, this is relevant to the Pope cast, after Pope Benedict resigned the pontificate, the cardinals that were invited to elect, you know, not invited, but of the correct age, um, gathered together in like a pre-meeting before actual conclave. Because conclave is not a chance for speeches. Conclave is not an opportunity to politic. Like conclave is prayer, right? right? And so they needed a chance to politic, for lack of a better way to put it, and communicate ahead of time, like what do we think is happening in the church right now? And every cardinal was given a chance to speak. And one cardinal got up there by the name of Jorge Bergoglio, from Argentina, mm-hmm. and he gave this little speech called Evangelizing the Peripheries. And this is what he says in part two of Evangelizing the Peripheries. And it's you're, it's going to sound familiar. When the church does not come out from itself to evangelize, it becomes self-referential and gets sick. One thinks of the woman hunched over upon herself in the gospel. The evils that, in the passing of time, afflict the ecclesiastical institutions have a root in self-referentiality in a sort of theological narcissism. In Revelation, Jesus says that he is standing at the threshold and calling. Evidently, the text refers to the fact that he stands outside the door and knocks to enter. But at times I think that Jesus may be knocking from the inside, that we may let him out. The self-referential church presumes to keep Jesus within itself and not let him out. He said that five years ago before he was elected pope, and then now here we are in 2018, and he's saying, sometimes I wonder if perhaps Jesus is already inside us and knocking on the door for us to let him escape from our stale self-centeredness. Like, those of those of you that think, or though anybody that thinks that the pope is just flying off the cuff and doesn't know what he's doing, he is very clearly telling us to stop being self-referential, self-centered Catholics, mm-hmm. to get over ourselves, and to go find the people on the margins and bring them into the church. And if we're not doing that— then we're not paying attention to the the movements of the spirit because this is clearly the pope and this is clearly the direction the spirit is leading us.
0: Yeah, amen. Good Lord, yeah. No, I love that. I mean, because again, with the it's the um so at Seek last year, the Focus National Conference, Father Mike gave the last keynote. I think it was the last keynote, and he uh, he brought up that like there's a historical trend in the church. If you look like the reason that St Benedict and St Augustine like were called at the time that they were was because the church had gotten like bloated and fat mm-hmm. and lazy and needed to be like kicked back into shape and it was the same thing with Aquinas and it was the same thing with the Council of Trent and Car- St Charles Borromeo and all those guys like the church was just bloated like every 4 or 500 years this happens and it's time mm-hmm. for that to happen again it's like we're yeah. seeing that again it's like and i, I think like in micro um we're talking about um you know the the video that 's circling on Twitter today with e w t n mm-hmm. is like there's there's a there's a faction i don 't want to call it a faction but there 's just like a persuasion in the church um that I think has like gotten cultivated because saint John paul and pope emeritus benedict have like we 're so precise and we're also like so um i don 't know what the term like highfalutin comes to comes to my comes to mind <laughs> but it's it's like it's good like yeah. it's very good like high theological language so we can understand beyond the shadow of a doubt, like what the Mm -hmm. church believes, why it Mm -hmm. and like, and that's all very important, but it's like, those people have gotten comfortable. Like those people are like the rich young man who refused Mm -hmm. to give away all that they have in service to the church, who they say that they trust the Holy spirit. And I think that's why it's beautiful. And I agree that Pope Francis is very calculated. He's like, okay, Canon law is established. The catechism is established. We're going to move beyond that. Like use that as a foundation and we're going to go see, like we're going to go feel around in the corners like go to the fringes exactly and like find and fi- out where and, Jesus is
1: and there are people there like i think sometimes so years ago i was in a drive through line here in lake charles and there was a guy in a truck in front of me and he had this bumper sticker that infuriated me and it said the liturgy will save the world and like i literally i i got home <laughs> and i slammed the food on the table and i said tommy just saw this damn bumper sticker and it said the liturgy will save the world. The liturgy won't save the world. The people that are infused with the Eucharist at the liturgy will save the world. And like I got I got raging mad. And sometimes I feel like that's where we are in our church right now. Some people are like, well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go to mass and like that's enough. And it's like, uh-uh, it's not. Like go forth and spread the good news after mm-hmm. that. And and then the liturgy is actually gonna effectively work. Yeah. Like and and I I I mean, I, I was at a papal mass. Like I I I was there. Francis is very reverent. He is very prayerful. Like, this is not, like, we're not, there's not clowns bouncing through St. Peter's <laughs> Square. Like, most of the Mass was in Latin, for the record, everybody. Right. Like, he happened to be facing me, but it was still Jesus. But, like, that that liturgy, even with the liturgy with the Pope, which was one of the most beautiful Masses I've ever been to, and one of the most beautiful choirs, and, like, I'm there in St. Peter's Square getting to carry these palms. Like, that moment was not the best moment of ministry I experienced all day. Mm-hmm. It wasn't. In fact, the best moment of ministry I had later that day was when I was hanging out with two of my seminarian buddies who are studying in Rome. And we were sitting outside Old Bridge Gelateria having our gelato and, like, talking and visiting. Mm-hmm. And one of the one of the seminarians I was with, had, he got – like, he found one of those gigantic palms that the people get to, to carry. Somebody had left theirs, like, on the side of the wall by the Old Bridge stand. So he grabbed it, and he was like, I'm going to keep this. Like, I'm going to mail palms home to my family. <laughs> and so he's sitting there with it, and this little boy, this little Italian kid, like a gypsy kid – comes up and grabs it and starts playing with it with some of his little (laughs) friends or siblings right there and andy who knows fluent italian like talks to him and like is playing back with him both of us had gone to mass earlier that day and like had been infused with with the power and the grace of of jesus christ obviously but like in that moment of human connection like this american guy from southwest louisiana was able to have a moment of joy with this little italian (laughs) kid whose parents probably, like, beg for food every other day in the city of Rome and, like, take advantage of their tourists. And, right. like, that was a powerful moment. And so, like, the liturgy did not save the world for the two of us. Like, the, the liturgy allowed us to go forth and be Jesus to other people. Right. And I, 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 I have no doubt that that is what Francis is saying with this document. Um, it is, it's beautiful. It's powerful. He talks so much about – he talks about spiritual combat. Like we could go off on 10 tangents about that. Like obviously the Pope believes in hell. He talks about the devil. Like, come on.
0: What? I am so excited to finish this document now.
1: (laughs) Yeah. He talks about discernment. Um, he gets close to the end and he like appeals to Mary, which I think we all forget how much the Pope loves Mary. Like the day after he was elected, he went to St. Mary majors and like made an offering to our lady. And he always looks for opportunities to remind us of how going to our lady is a great gift to us in our church. like, so I, I have homework for your listeners. I would encourage everybody to read this document with a highlighter and obviously like highlight your favorite lines in one color and then highlight the lines that make you uncomfortable in another, because there are some things in here that stretch us and that challenges and that make us think like, ah, oh, I need to change. I need to convert. I need to pay attention to this. Um, and, and it will like it, I think it will bear great fruit in, in everybody's Easter. Um, and in, you know, good old, good old, boring, ordinary time. It's coming up. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yes. Nice. I think that's, yeah, that's awesome. Thanks for that. Um, yeah. that's probably a good place to cap, uh, unless you have any parting shots on the document. I think that was a great place to cap. Yeah, uh, no,
1: I'm, I'm good with that. I, I Just go read it. Rejoice and be glad everybody.
0: Yeah. Amen. Okay. So I was thinking through, um, because you hopefully will not be the first and last uh, interview of the ah, Pope yeah. guys. So uh, just general interview questions, maybe for yourself. Uh, mm-hmm. What is your favorite era of the, ch- of church history and why? That can't be one. right now.
1: Can't be right now. Well you know because it's present time. I, I'm going to, I'm going to sound like a raving, raging liberal. When I say this, I <laughs> love Vatican II. Um, I love how John the 23rd called it. I love the snarkiness of John the 23rd. He's one of my absolute, <laughs> Popes, I always make a point to go visit him when I'm at St. Peter's, um, which that sounds like I'm there all the time. I probably won't be back for another five years, but <laughs> I always go there when I can. Um, I'm a big fan of like how the John the twenty third and Paul the sixth are so different, and yet we're both beautiful gifts to the church at that time. Um, and I just I love I did a paper in college on um, Lumen Gentium, so the light of Faith. Yeah. It was in one of the first advanced theology classes that I took and, and was one of the reasons I wanted to continue studying theology. It was, it was a history class. And so we got to pick an era of the church. We got to write about the development of a specific document. And so I chose Lumen Gentium, which talks about the people of God. And I read about the different drafts, which was so cool to read about and think about that when we were working on the pre-synod document. So Lumen Gentium talks about the people of God, and in the lineup of talking about the people of God, they talk about the laity first. Before they talk about the bishops and the religious, and they, they and, and not that bishops and religious are, like, second, second fiddle by any means, but, like, in the development of the document, that got switched right at the end. Ooh, that the people of God, like, the laity were talked about first um, in order to ensure that people recognize that, like, you don't have to—just like Francis is saying, like, you don't have to be ordained. You don't have to have a habit to be called to holiness. Right. Like, you're all called to it. So I love— I love that time
0: in the church. Yeah, that's beautiful. It's, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, and we probably take it for granted because, like, we can read about that, and that's one thing to, like, understand, oh, mm-hmm. yeah, that was a thing, but then, like, I'll talk to my mom or my dad or something, and and they'll say, oh, yeah, no, like, um, it was just kind of like, if you were, you had to be a priest to be holy, like, that was kind of the understanding. Yeah. Um, the like, there's just all sorts of, yeah, which is just, like, mind-boggling to us. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, sweet. The spirit okay.
1: and the fruits of Vatican II have been felt by our generation. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Um, and will continue to be like, uh, like my daughter will still still be unpacking Vatican II when she's my age.
0: Yeah, totally. Yeah, so. I think actually I, I told the story in because I did an episode on Paul VI uh, mm-hmm. two episodes ago I think and told the story. But the um, former Bishop of Helena, Bishop Morlino, who's now in Madison, um, was a larger guy actually when he got made a bishop and went to Baby Bishop School, which is what they call it. So they call him Bambinos, yeah. apparently. And <laughs> John Paul saw him was like, "Oh, grande bambino." <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Like, anyways, um but I he my mom told me the story that uh he had said to her about Vatican II. is like, you know, when you get major surgery and you're sidelined for three to five days drinking your lunch out of a straw, mm-hmm. and you can't get the biggie size fry until about a week after surgery. It's like when you do surgery on a billion person organization, it's yeah. thirty to fifty years until you start oh, to realize yeah. the and there's all sorts of craziness like the body's doing all sorts of weird things, like yeah. in the time when it's recovering, and it's and it's it's so beautiful to see that is true. Is see that that's that's, the a, case, that's
1: yeah. a good analogy. Yeah, yeah, that's good.
0: Yeah. Um, okay. Last question: uh, Who's your favorite pope and why? Maybe it was already. Maybe you already mentioned. Um, if it's John well, so the John
1: the Twenty Third does have a very special place in my heart. Um, but I I'm a big fan of Pope Benedict Pope Benedict the mm-hmm. Sixteenth. Um, I know, like, I, I know I went a little crazy on my, like, love of Francis, and some people are like, well, how those two jive? But, so, I was in high school when John Paul II died, and, like, I was Catholic, and I loved my faith, but, but like, JP two was kind of that, like, rock star pope, but mm-hmm. I wasn't, like, I hadn't given my life to Jesus until Benedict was elected, and that was the year I was confirmed. That was the year that we we got a new bishop in our diocese who is a huge um, Benedict fan, and, like, he he, like very much reminds me of benedict as far as like his pastoral style and like the way he writes and so i i mean i went through college i got my theology degree under benedict like i i saw pope benedict probably no this is not an exaggeration 20 or 30 times when i lived in rome when i was there as a student because we would go into the angelus every sunday and we would like we had opportunities to go to the wednesday audiences as frequently as we wanted so like I, he was really, like, the first pope that I think in my own life that I really paid attention to, like, as a living guy. And when he resigned, it was Mardi Gras um, of 2013. Like, it was Mardi Gras Day, the day before Ash Wednesday, and I woke up to text messages, did you hear about the pope, thinking he had died. And I remember that feeling of, like, just, like, like it was like my grandfather had died. And then opening up CNN and being like, oh, thank God, okay, no, he didn't die, he just retired. wait. <laughs> Is he allowed to do that? Like, is he allowed to quit? (laughs) Why is he quitting? What's wrong? And so, like, I I just, I adore him. I adore his writings. His Jesus of Nazareth books, like, moved me deeply. I reread them every year around Holy Week and and Advent. I love his one leading into into Christmas. Um, I just, I love how professorial he is, how grandfatherly he is. Um, I love the stories. Like, I love his accent. I just just (laughs) love, I adore him. Like, I, I will weep for days and go into a period of mourning when the good Lord brings him home, um, which I think he thought was going to happen a little sooner than that. (laughs) But that's what happens. You get to rest and play with your cat all day long. You, you end up living for another decade,
0: man. If there wasn't like a more, more adorable and hilarious picture than that picture of him, like petting the two little kittens in his like (laughs) big, long, like retired Pope Alb.
1: Oh Yeah. My favorite is him sitting at the piano with the cat sitting on top of him. Yeah, yeah. I um I drink orange soda from time to time when I'm like reading a Pope Benedict's sixteenth document. I'll like pull out an orange fan and be like, This one's for you, Papa. <laughs> you know, like I miss you. So he's gonna be a great saint of the church someday. I can't oh, wait yes. until he's a canonized Benedict Benedict the Great, you know?
0: Yo, yes, that would be awesome. Yeah. Yeah, yeah no, I know I feel the same way. Um I don't know if he's my favorite because I have a couple there's just a couple others, but like I I just read Last Testament, the um book length interview with him. Have you <laughs> read that yet?
1: Yes. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: And it was like the the first real thing that I had read like that was lengthy um from him, like just reading something where he but yeah. Is it true you might know the story. Um when he whenever he would write something, he would give it to one of his sisters who wasn't really educated. I've I heard the story about like about how he gauges whether something is readable or not and before he releases huh. it. Yeah, or at least he used to. He had a sister who wasn't like wasn't educated like mm-hmm. on the college level or graduate level or whatever, and he would give her the things that he wrote as a priest or bishop, and if she could understand them, then he would then he would release them. Yeah. But I if mean, she didn't get it,
1: like I w- I want to believe that. Um, my favorite is the story of of him after he got elected, and the German pilgrims came to mass with him. And, and they were like, so what were you saying in the conclave? You know, like, what did you think? And he's like, I just was praying that I wouldn't become the pope. And evidently the father did not listen. <laughs> it's like, I just love because he did not. He tried to retire like he was not. And I, I remember distinctly watching John Paul II's funeral and he gave the homily. And my mom said it in the living room. She said, he's going to be the next pope. And I was like, no, he's too old. They'll never elect him and like that's what the lord gave us you know a few good years with this remarkably professorial holy guy that i think taught us a lot you know that what's the phrase jp2 taught us how to die um mm. J- benedict the 16th taught us how to think and pope francis is teaching us how to live yes um and it's like the, the ch- i mean we're living at a really cool time in our church and in the fact that like we have access to all that we have to share what's going on in our church. And, and I wish we would fight less and just recognize what gathers and joins us more. Um, and like show the depth and the beauty of what we have, you know?
0: Yeah. So, amen. Yeah. Sweet. Well, thanks for saying that. Um, before we close, where can people find you? What's like new and happening? I know you've got a new sweet workout. Yeah.
1: I've got a, uh, yeah. So, um, everybody can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Katie Prejean. That's uh, P-R-E-J-E-A-N. it's French. Um, my Instagram is mostly photos of my daughter, so be warned. Uh, my Twitter is my random thoughts about Catholicism and drinks and ice cream and uh, Parks and Rec. Um, <laughs> yes. And I've got two books published from Ave Maria Press, Room 24, Adventures of a New Evangelist. It's about my life as a teacher, as a high school teacher for five years, and I would geek out about the Pope all the time. Um, And then my new book, Follow Your Lifelong Adventure with Jesus, is all about ways that you can build a relationship with Christ.
0: Nice. Sweet. Thanks. And uh, I hope on yours and Tommy's new podcast that the Red Reddington impression makes an appearance every so often.
1: I'm I'm sure it will. I mean, Robert California... It, we have a – so we've <laughs> yes, crazy it. everybody. Pawnee, Pennsylvania is coming out sooner than you think, and it's just a married couple talking about their favorite episodes of Parks and Rec in the office. Yes. Um, everything from the virtues of the characters of the office. We we do kind of Catholicize a little bit of it. Um, so the of virtues course. of the characters of the office, uh, the, our favorite women and our favorite men, who would be best friends – I'm really excited about this episode – who would be best friends from from Pawnee and Scranton Like if those yes. two worlds were in the same universe, which I – other than like Anne and uh Karen Filippelli if you can like suspend reality for a little bit like maybe they're twins in that universe right like they (laughs) actually part of the same world so my husband and I are launching that probably like early June we've got to go on vacation like have somebody watch the baby so we can like hammer out all of our episodes
0: (laughs) yes I'm very excited well you heard it here first folks Pawnee Pennsylvania yeah I I am very excited to listen sweet well uh, Katie thank you so much again for joining the podcast the Popecast what am I talking about uh, and hope to have you on the next time the Pope releases a document yeah. I don't know.
1: yeah thanks so much Matt appreciate it